You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast and joining me on the show today is an idol of mine, Ariel Helwani. And if any of you listening are a fan of mixed martial arts or combat sports, then you undoubtedly know Ariel already. He's been covering the sport since 2006 and he is a multi-time World MMA Award Journalist of the Year. Ariel's hosted so many great shows, most famously his MMA Hour. Now, I brought Ariel on the show because I wanted to understand how you can create a living out of your passion, especially in a field where there's no blueprint to success. And in this episode, we talk about the early days, the early grind of what it's like to chase your dream, dealing with setbacks. Ariel recalls instances in where Dana White had him removed from working at the Showtime event for Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather and how upsetting that was at the time, but how he bounced back and used that setback to propel himself to heights that he never would have imagined. We talk about Ariel's advice for turning your passion into your living, and we talk about so, so much more. There's so much value to be found in this episode, even if you're not a fan of the sport of mixed martial arts. The advice in this episode is applicable to any field and anyone out there who's chasing a dream. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ariel Helwani. Ariel, welcome to the Freedom Pack, my friend. Oh, it's great to be here and uh, thank you for your patience. I know you've been uh, reaching out to me for a while and uh, I, I keep wanting to reach out to you and, and, and make this happen. So. I appreciate your patience. I appreciate you having me, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, it is an absolute honor. I was on Twitter earlier, and I found a tweet that I put out about six or seven years ago. I said, I get way too excited when the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani comes on. You replied, thanks. I said, you just made my day. Fangirling right now. And six years on, here we are. So Here we are. That's awesome, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, the one thing I really wanted to speak to you about and I asked this question to, to Bruce Buffer when I spoke to him. You're in a field where there's really no blueprint to success. You know, if you want to become a doctor, if you want to become a, a quantity surveyor, there's a certain path you've got to go down to make that happen. But with journalism and, and what you do, you almost have to try and navigate that yourself. How did you find that journey of sort of navigating and ending up where you are today? That is a good question. And by the way, is my connection okay? Everything all right? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, I always grew up, when I was growing up, I always looked up to uh, broadcasters. I was a big sports fan, but I would be in awe of the uh, the magic of the presentation, TV, cameras, the idea that like this is 
being beamed all across America, the world, into people's homes. Like this whole idea of them being there. It's like one guy with the honor of speaking into a microphone and telling everyone why this event matters, why this game matters, why this match matters. And so I would watch these uh, men and women on TV, um, you know, being in awe of them. And while most people wanted to be, you know, the actual athletes, I wanted to be them. And so I think that uh, as I was growing up, I would take elements of these people and kind of put them in my mind. And I remember being in the ninth grade in English class, and I was uh, supposed to be reading a textbook. Instead, I was reading an issue of Sports Illustrated, uh, which is a big magazine here in uh, North America. And uh, that particular issue was breaking down the best schools in America for all sorts of things. And there was a little blurb which stated that Syracuse University was the best school for sports broadcasting. And I remember, you know, like vividly this light going off in my head saying like, wow, you can go to school for this. Like you can actually try and do this for a living. I never really looked at it as a living prior to that. I was just sort of in awe of those people. And so uh, I I made a decision that I'm going to go to Syracuse University where a lot of legends went. And four years later, I did go there. And that's really when the uh, the journey started. And when I got there, I realized for the first time that there are a ton of people who had the same dream that I had, a ton of kids. Um, all of them wanted to be the next baseball, basketball, football guy. And uh, I, I don't usually like to follow the pack. And, and so uh, that's when I really started to think of combat sports and I remember telling my parents, this is in 2001, you know, there's this sport called MMA, there's this league, UFC, it's not mainstream now, but I feel like in 10 years, it's going to be mainstream and there aren't enough people covering it. And maybe I could be the guy, maybe I could be one of the voices of the sport. Maybe I could be the Howard Cosell of MMA. And so that's really where it started for me. So when I was in university, I studied history and I found myself wishing I studied something else. Um, my friend always used to say to me, you know, you'd be great at journalism. And I always, I, I always wanted, wished I could go back and start again. And so I, had, I started this early grind and I was reaching out to people to, to try and get interviews, local athletes, um, local authors. I think the first person to give me an interview of any note was Paul Craig uh, from Scotland. Um, yeah. Then I started traveling up to, to Abbot Leary to interview Jack Shaw, um, following him at the Cage Warriors events, getting interviews with him. Um, and just really trying to just grind out. And it took so, so long before you start seeing any attention come back. Um, yeah. Fast forward years later, it's cool now. I, you know, I've interviewed people like George St. Pierre, heroes of mine. Um, but I think back to those early days and there were so many times where I thought, is this worth it? Because nobody's listening. I just yeah. wonder what were your early days like with the, with the grind? Well, so there's like almost like two kinds of early days because when I was in college, I had my own radio show. It was on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. No one's listening to this. But luckily, there was uh, there was like a streaming option. Now, this is common in today's world. But in 2001, that was pretty rare to have something where you can stream. I'm in Syracuse, New York, and people all over the world can listen to me. The only people who were listening to me were my mom, dad, my sister, and maybe a couple of friends. And I would have uh, different kind of fighters on, wrestlers on. Bruce Buffer actually was one of my first guests. Dave Meltzer, uh, Dan Severn. Uh, I had like Bobby the Brain Heenan on. It was a, an MMA pro wrestling show. 
And uh, it was a great thrill, but no one was listening to that. Like I wasn't making any kind of a ripple. And then when I graduated, I actually went down the path of uh, TV production rather than being on air for a few years, 04, 05, 06, 07. And then I got to, uh, to Spike TV, which at the time was the home of the UFC. And uh, I thought that was going to be like, you know, my path. I was going to work in production for UFC content. But I realized when I got to Spike that they don't actually produce any of the content themselves. The UFC was producing everything. I didn't know that. So after a week at Spike, I quit. They were very mad. And they said to me, uh, you know, you're, you're going to regret this. This is a big mistake of your life. You're unprofessional. But I knew that was the crossroads of my life. I needed to go for it. I needed to try to realize this dream of being an MMA journalist. So I started my own website from that uh, cubicle that I was sitting in at Spike that they made me stick around for an extra month and a half. Um, and I, and I, I'm, I'm good at like giving myself goals. So I said, I'm going to give myself six months to get noticed. And if I don't get a job off of this website where the main objective was to show people that I can interview fighters, um, hopefully as good, if not better than anyone, and every morning I was going to post an interview at 8 a.m. If I can't get a job after this, you know, venture for six months, then I'm going to go back to TV production. Um, and I, I would often say, like, I didn't care if five people were listening or five million people were listening. It was hopefully the right people that were listening. And honestly, like, you know, October, November, December, January, you know, not a lot of people were listening. I was making a little bit of, you know, headway, but it wasn't a lot. And more importantly, I wasn't getting any job offers off of it. And it was only with three days left on my deadline, my self-imposed deadline of April 1st, 2008, I finally got an offer and that, you know, spearheaded my entire career. Um, and, but even, you know, when you, when you, uh, when you didn't start like making money and, and are doing this for a living, it still takes some time. So I remember every interview I would do, I, I would have like a, an email list of MMA websites and I would send it off to them. Oh, check out my interview with Josh Barnett. I would go on SureDog as different people, you know, like under an alias and post it. I would go on the UG and post it. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I recently uh, relaunched my YouTube channel that I hadn't touched for 10 years. Um, and I'm posting these interviews with, uh, you know, people outside of the fighting world. And it's reminding me a lot of those early days because those interviews aren't they're like, I think it's some of the best work that I've ever done, but they're not doing exceptionally well views wise. And people have asked me, like, do you care? I honestly don't care because it's the same mentality. I don't care if five people are watching it or five million. There's a purpose for this. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show people, the right kind of people, that I can interview non-fighters as well, anyone from any walk of life. So I'm, I'm back in that mindset of uh, 2007, and uh, it's humbling. And uh, luckily, you know, I've always believed, like, don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't lick your wounds. If you want it bad enough, you work hard enough, you're professional enough, and you continue to work harder and stick out, then good things will happen. And luckily for me, you know, good things happen. Yeah. And, and speaking of those interviews, there was an unbelievably good interview you did that actually made me reach out to the guest myself and said, look, I heard you on the Helwani show. Um, it was the adult actress, Kendra Lust. Now, that was mm. a phenomenal interview. I, I really enjoyed that. And Thank you. Um, it's, it's great to see you interviewing people outside of your, you know, and you mentioned there that maybe the views aren't as good. And so that makes me wonder, obviously, in everyone's career, there's, there's setbacks, there's, there's failures, there's things like that. And I'm sure throughout your career, you've probably dealt with setback, failure, just like everyone else. 
um you know the the biggest one i can think of maybe is when there was that that misunderstanding with the ufc and you had the most powerful man in your sport almost against you and you still managed to you know come out as what i consider to be the the best journalist in the sport and so what is your process for dealing with setback and failure yeah, I mean, uh, he wasn't almost against me. He was against me. He still is against me, uh, but that's okay. Uh, I've had a lot of setbacks, a lot of failures, like we all have. And my main thing is don't feel sorry for yourself. Like I've always, thank God, I don't know what it is that allowed me to do this, but I've always believed that every time a door closes, a window opens. And you can either sit back and lick your wounds, feel bad for yourself, or you can say, you know what, screw that. F that, I'm going to go out and prove people wrong. The greatest example that I can give you of that was um, when Showtime hired me to be a part of the, the Maymac World Tour. And so I flew from New York to Los Angeles on a red eye on a Monday night after doing my MMA hour. I land at like 1 a.m. LA time. I go to bed. I wake up. This is a big deal, right? This is Mayweather McGregor. This is Showtime. I'm working with like Mauro Ronaldo and all these people. <clears throat> It was a really big freaking deal for me. And I remember my suit is on. I'm ready to go the first stop, Staples Center on that Tuesday. And I remember uh, Steven Espinoza, the president of Showtime Sports, still the president, uh, gives me a call and says, hey, before you go to the arena, could you meet me in the lobby of the JW Marriott, uh, which is right across the street? Seemed a little weird to me, but of course I said yes. Met him in the lobby. And he breaks the news to me that uh, I can't be a part of it anymore. That, you know, Dana White freaked out when he heard that I was a part of it. And uh, he's incredibly sorry, but, you know, they have to remove me. Uh, you know, very nice of him. He, he paid me for doing nothing. <clears throat> and uh, I felt like crap. I wanted to cry. I think I actually did cry. Um, I was very sad. And I was sad for like, I don't know, 30 minutes. And then I said, F this, I'm going to cover what could be the biggest fight of my life. You know, there was so much buzz, better than everyone. I'm going to cover it better than Showtime. I'm going to cover it better than ESPN. I'm going to cover it better than any outlet on the planet. And I'm going to take this personally. And I think I did. I think I covered it better than anyone. Um, I got sit downs with Connor. I got to sit down with Floyd two days before the fight at his gentleman's club. I waited there for six hours. Uh, we had you know live shows from Radio Row. We had huge guests. We covered that fight better than anyone. Um, and I, and there's no one that can even come close to that statement. And so that's an example of you know you want to deal me a shit sandwich. I'm going to come back and uh, you know do something even greater. And I actually feel like being removed from that was uh, an amazing thing that happened to me because. Um, the stuff that I did with MMA fighting for that fight, exponentially better than the stuff I would have done for Showtime. Another example, just quickly, is like my stint at ESPN, three years, and they tried to get me out. And I did get an offer from ESPN. It wasn't the offer that I obviously wanted. And I think it's because you know ESPN basically, you know, they chose the UFC over me, and that's fine. And UFC and one man in particular tried to hurt me, right? I got a text an hour after I announced that I was leaving ESPN saying like, told you we would get you out of ESPN, bye-bye. 
from an anonymous person. I know who that's from and I don't mind because my now my life is exponentially better. I'm happier. I'm making more money. I'm doing better stuff. I couldn't even like compare the way I felt February 25th of 2021 to now. It's completely, so every time, thank God, I get screwed over, better things happen. And I don't know if that run is going to end at some point. I hope it doesn't, but I'm very thankful that it plays out that way. And I think part of the reason why is I don't feel sorry. I don't cry. You know, I don't lick my wounds. I just say, all right, what's next? Wow. And um, yeah, you you know, you, you said that you've got the most powerful man in the sport against you, still against you. And you still, you know, you still do what you do. Do you put that down to just resilience? Like, is that something you pride yourself on, having that resilience to to just not take that as a, a be-all and end-all and just stick with it and do your own thing? Absolutely, man. I, I came way too far to let one guy dictate how my life is going to go. I came way too far to let one guy write my story. My family, you know, and I get like emotional about this because my family was living in Lebanon in the 70s and they were kicked out of Lebanon because they were Jewish. They've been through way worse than I was ever, that I will ever be going through or that I'm going through at any point with, you know, UFC or whatever. And so I owe it to them. You know, I owe it to to my family. I owe it to my parents who believed in me. I, I owe it to the fans. I'm not going to give up. And And it's cool. Like we can, you know, I've always believed that we can live in the same orbit, meaning the sport of MMA, and never interact with each other. My life is totally fine without any interaction. I don't want interaction. I'm not reaching out asking for a peace uh, treaty or uh, interviews or anything like that. I mean, obviously, I'd prefer if they don't mess with my livelihood. That's, you know, a bit of a low blow. But, you know, again, everything works out for a reason. So, yeah, I just feel like I'm not, you know, what am I going to do? Roll over? And uh, just allow them to, t- you know, it's funny because like people would be like, oh, you're weak, you're this or that, you cry like, yo, I, I want to see, you know, the vast majority of you guys take the punches that I've taken and see if you're still standing. Um, so I'm just not going to let, I'll, I'll decide when it's over. I'll decide when I'm done. Uh, I'm not going to let anyone else decide that. Amazing. Another thing I think you have always been great at and I this came to mind on Monday I was listening to the the MMA hour uh, on the train um with Bobby Green and and Bryce Mitchell and it got me thinking back to you know obviously you've got the Dana there was there was Brendan Schaub and I and I always I just was thinking that you are really good at dealing and handling conflict in a you know in a professional way so I just wonder what are your sort of I don't know. What, what is your sort of system like for dealing with conflict? The funny thing is, is that I actually have like a really short fuse. Uh, luckily, it's never really come out on on uh, camera. My main thing is, is like, be calm. You're you're on camera. You know, you want to represent yourself and your family and everything, your, their, your company that you're working with. You want to re- represent them with uh, class and grace. And usually people can see when you're trying to conduct yourself as a professional, like, you know, I'm not, you know, I saw some people say like, oh, uh, Bryce Mitchell handed you a big fat L. Like, he didn't hand me any Ls. Bryce Mitchell hijacked your show. He didn't hijack anything. I could have ended that interview in a second. I could have ended it in a second. But all right, you want to talk about this stuff? You want to engage? You want to talk crazy? I'll let you talk crazy. 
I'll poke holes in what you're talking. And I can't imagine anyone being on the fence about these issues saying, you know what? That Vegas cab driver must have been telling the truth. Like, come on. It was all nonsensical. Um, so I just try to stay calm, stay relaxed. I think some people have seen a little bit more of my fiery personality, you know, like with the Hiawani stuff and Brendan Schaub and all that, because I do take that stuff very personally. When you, when you, when you come at me personally, it will come out more. When it's just us arguing about stuff that really doesn't concern me or isn't personal to me, um, like about myself, like if you're going to try to slander my name and my reputation, that's one thing. If you're going to talk crazy, it's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to concern myself with trying to convince you. So, you know, it's just all about trying to take a deep breath. No one wants to hear. I, I also, you know, I'm a consumer of sports media. I'm a consumer of all kinds of media. I don't like to hear people yelling and acting crazy, right? As a consumer, as a fan. So I certainly don't want to do that myself. So I kind of just try to act the way I want my favorite hosts to act. Uh, and it, that has served me well. With the, the platform you have and the connections you have, it would be very easy for you to go down that route of journalism, of hunting for clips, of asking loaded questions. Um, how do you balance integrity with getting views and getting good results? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And uh, it always makes me laugh when people say like, oh, you're doing this for clicks. I don't make a single cent off the clicks. I don't own the MMA fighting YouTube channel. Um, I, I, don't, I don't own MMA fighting. Uh, I didn't own ESPN's YouTube channel. I didn't get a single raise off of like DC and Helwani or anything. Um, and I never, you know, it always would make me laugh like, oh, you're an instigator, this, that. Like, I'm just asking questions based off of what I think people want the answers to. Now, at times, are those questions a little bit, um, you know, uh, difficult to answer or uncomfortable. Yeah, of course. But if I'm not asking certain questions, then what am I doing here? I've always felt like it was a privilege to have this job, to be the guy holding a microphone backstage doing this and that. If I'm just going to sit there and ask, you know, softball questions, no one's going to want to listen to me. And again, it goes back to what I want out of the people that I watch on television. I, I can see very clearly the ones who are asking the softball questions, the ones who are just afraid to ask this or that. Like you have to have some kind of guts to do things and and very important to have that mentality, but also to be respectful, to be a professional. So you can ask those questions, but you can also be professional and respectful. And if you're able to find that happy medium, people are usually going to respect you. Um, and I'm very proud. Like if you look, I've been doing this now, you know, I launched that website in 2007. And it's 2022, so 15 years, right? Um, yeah, you know, Dana doesn't like me, and Ali doesn't let his fighters talk to me. But how many fighters in those 15 years have I beefed with? Have I, you know, uh, fell out of favor with? Um, who don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think about all the personalities, all the even, even, even Bobby Green, you know, came back. Ben Askren used to hate me. Tito Ortiz used to. Hate, they all after a while realize like I'm not trying to screw them. I'm more often than not on their side. Um, and so just like, you know, trying to do things, if you're, if you're respectful, if you're professional, if you're trustworthy, if they can tell you something in confidence and it will remain in confidence, it will go a long way. If they tell you something in confidence and then you go blurt it out, you'll never regain that trust. And that's how I was able to gain the trust of some of the biggest names in the sport because they tell me something 
lip sealed in the vault. It will never come out unless you want it to come out. So one last topic I'd love to touch on before we wrap up with the final questions. Um, what advice would you give to those people out there who want to turn a passion into what they do for a living? What is the advice that you would give to those people? My advice would be to go for it. You only get one life. You don't want to wake up when you're 85 and say, man, I should have turned that passion into a living because that's that's the dream, right? To be passionate about what you're doing. You don't want to wake up every day in the winter on a cold February and uh, you know, you're getting out of bed at seven o'clock in the morning and you hate your life, you hate your job, you hate where you're going. Now, of course, there are days where I'm not like loving this job as opposed to other days, but that's you know, just life, it goes ups and down. Um, you want to be passionate, you want to love what you're doing, you want to feel like it's a dream that you know you hope will never end. And so I would say, go for it, try to make it happen. Um, and 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 if you're able to put everything you can into it now if 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 it's a type of you know dream if it's a type of passion that you need like some time to build it up well while you're working that job that you may not like at night or on the weekends work on this other passion and work on that work on that work on that in your free time until it's time to you know come over and focus all your attention but i would say go for it don't be one of those people who say you know i should have done this i could have done that what if i would have done like no man you know again we sometimes forget i think you only get one chance at life one chance that's it and you know tomorrow isn't even guaranteed so freaking go for it and try to live with as few regrets as possible and uh i just think that the ones who you know actually shoot for the stars even if they fail a hundred times if you keep shooting great things are going to happen. And so I would not be afraid of failure. I would I would welcome the failure. It's fun to shoot for the stars. Just the act of shooting for the stars is fun. Um, and the journey is fun. And the grind is fun. If you can embrace all of that and enjoy all of that, good things will happen. Also, I would say be patient. You know, so I think a lot of young people, they're, they're impatient. They want to, it took me, I graduated in 04. My dream job was ESPN. It took me 14 years to get to ESPN upon graduating right so like be patient it's not gonna happen in a year it's not gonna happen in two years not gonna happen in five ten twelve took me 14 years now it could be shorter for you but just be patient work at it be professional look at what everyone's doing take notes be professional work hard and when you think you're working hard work a little harder because there's a ton of people out there trying to accomplish the same thing that you're trying to accomplish and you know you got to stick out so how do you stick out you work hard Beautiful. Man, I'm all fired up. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I have two questions I ask every guest before we sign off. The first one may be difficult for you with the amount of books I see behind you. But yes. what if you could just name two or three books that you've read in your life that have had a massive impact on who you are today? Uh, I read a book. Oh, man, I wish I could uh, remember the name. It had a huge impact on me. One second. Let me just get the name here. Um, it was, there it is, um, a book by an author named, uh, Dave Kindred, Sound and Fury, Two Powerful Lives, One Fateful Friendship. It's about the relationship between Howard Cosell and Muhammad Ali. Um, I, I, that really had a great impact on me because I learned a lot about, you know, these two guys from completely different backgrounds um completely different walks of life you know a black man a jewish man different ages 
and they were so you know tight and 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 they both helped each other a lot. I mean, what a legendary career Muhammad Ali had, what a legendary career Howard Cosell had. So that that's a one that I um I absolutely adored. Um man. In terms of, I used to, you know, you know, it was a book that really uh, stuck with me. Believe it or not, are you a pro wrestling fan? I am a big pro wrestling fan. Yeah, I loved "Have a Nice Day" by Mick Foley, the first yeah. one. Um, I actually uh, saw a lot of myself in him. He grew up in upstate New York. He went to Cortland University. I went to Syracuse University. is very close. He was like somewhat of a loner. Loved pro wrestling, and the thing that stuck out to me from reading his book, um, which I enjoyed. Uh, you know, immensely was he was a dreamer. Like he wasn't afraid. Like he's this guy who wasn't athletic, who didn't have a great body and all that stuff. But like he allowed himself to dream the biggest dreams, Madison Square Garden, all this stuff. And I, I remember that. I remember I read that in the eleventh grade, and that had a profound impact on me. Like these these guys who exceed expectations, who dream big, who are going out there and trying to uh you know accomplish their goals when a lot of people think that they can i love that sort of thing so there was that period uh i think i'm a little older than you probably but in that period of like you know um jericho had a book the rock had a book full yeah. like there were a ton of great wrestling books in that period and i love those i mean that's like when i was a huge fan so i really enjoyed that um as you know when we would go on trips and stuff i was always reading those books uh, i've always been a big biography guy i'm not a big um fiction guy sci-fi guy i i love sports and i love biographies my favorite movies are documentaries um that's i don't know i, I just like i love reality and i love being inspired by other people who went out there and did it so off the top of my head i'd say those two love it yeah i can relate i think the first book i read when i was a kid was uh adam copeland on edge oh um, uh, yeah i love love adam and uh yeah, yeah those pro wrestling biographies are amazing yeah amazing because you can like really try to live vicariously through them. And uh, a lot of them are tremendous underdog stories, right? Like, you know, he's sitting in the stands at WrestleMania six and then he's like, you know, uh, one of the biggest stars in the world. So yeah, I love that stuff. So the final question I have for you and the answer to this could be anything. It could be your work. It could be your family. It could be your friends. But right now, this second for Ariel Hawani, what makes life worth living? Oh, 1000% my family. Like it's not even close uh my 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 kids my wife my parents um my siblings it's not even close i mean and i'm so you know i'm i'm turning 40 uh later this year and uh, it's allowed me to like reflect a lot and i had a lot of goals that i wanted to accomplish by 40 and i'm actually really proud to say that i've accomplished a lot of them um and the main one was i used to be so afraid as a kid that I wouldn't have a family. I used to like get nervous about this, that I wouldn't have a, you know any children, that I wouldn't have a wife, that I would be alone. Um, and so I'm just so thankful and I love, like my kids now, um, my oldest son is turning 10, my middle son is eight, my daughter is five. And so they're reaching an age now where they're very, um, you know, excited about life and they're doing new things and you can have fun with them and interact with them. You know, there's no more diapers. Like they're real human beings with personalities. Just this morning, we were watching uh, Elimination Chamber because we didn't watch it last weekend. I mean, it's like, that's so much fun for me, man. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm about to turn 40. I feel like I'm still 14. And so like these little buddies of mine that I get to watch things with and try to teach them things about life. Um, and I was telling someone yesterday, like I, there's nothing that I look forward to more than watching them play sports. 
Um, they they really love what we call soccer, what you call football, um, and you know they play on the weekends, and that's going to pick up again in the spring. And you know, like you asked me, like Saturday night at T-Mobile Arena, the biggest fight of all time, the biggest fight, or you know, the park ten minutes away, Saturday afternoon soccer. What do I prefer being at? And with ten families as opposed to you know twenty thousand people, it's not even a question. I would be miserable being at the fight if I had to miss soccer, uh, and that's where my head is at now. Now, and 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 that's why I love where I'm at right now in my career, where I don't have to travel as much. I did the travel for ten years. It was cool. It was fun. Um, I'm very thankful for it. I'm I'm very appreciative that I got to go to places that I never thought I'd ever go. You know, Abu Dhabi, Australia, uh, Ireland, England, all these places. Brazil. Why would I have ever gone to these places? And uh, the fight game brought me there. And you know, in the future, here, there, whatever, I'd love to go back. But right now, I'm really loving being a, a dad. So and a husband. So um, there is nothing that gives me more joy than that. That's an absolutely beautiful answer. So. For our audience, this isn't a um, a mixed martial arts podcast or anything. It's a personal development podcast. So there may be a couple listening who aren't familiar um, with yourself. For those people, where can they find you online and connect with you? And I'm curious before I answer that, why did you choose that topic as the theme of your podcast? Um, so the podcast is called Freedom Pact. Um, so I was, like I said, I was in university studying a degree I, I a degree I didn't enjoy. Um, and me and my best friend, we went for a drive one night. We were sat in the car and we started thinking to ourselves, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more to life than this. Um, and so we started reading books, personal development books. We'd come back a week later, we'd meet, we'd talk about it. We started dreaming, writing down goals. And we came up with the idea of this podcast and having those conversations on a platform for other people to listen to. And this quickly became our dream. So that's what the Freedom Pack's all about. I love, love that. That's great. Um, and it's it's very gratifying, right? Like when you get guests on and when you get a good, uh, you know, podcast interview, it's it's a great feeling. I know that fearing, feeling very well. Um, and again, I'm sorry for keeping you waiting so long to do this. So many people were hitting me up after and, and uh, actually like two people after I wrote to you. Uh, two people, because like I have a list, like I need to get back to this person, I need to get back. I'm, I have OCD when it comes to like having zero unread emails. Mm-hmm. Um, and two people hit me up after, right after I, I responded to you. And uh, I just had to tell them like, I need a break from, you know, the podcast because it's just a lot. I don't love talking about myself. Uh, I prefer to be the one asking the questions in any event. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Ariel Hawani. You know, I post all the stuff that I do, so that's a, a very easy place to follow me. And uh, I, th- I thought you asked really great questions. I like your demeanor. Where Where are you uh, living? I'm from Wales. Wales. Okay. Wow. So yes, that's why uh, Tank Shore, Jack Tank yeah, Shore. Yeah. Big fight coming up in March. That's right. Are you going to that one? I couldn't get tickets, unfortunately. I think a lot of scalpers got hold of them pretty fast, so I uh, couldn't get them. Yeah. I've heard from a lot of fans who have said the same. In any event, I always feel like it's better to watch at home. Comfort of your home. Be, you know, eat what you want. No one bothers sure. you. So enjoy that. Uh, and yeah, thank you for having me. I, I wish you all the best. And uh, I really appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, I mean, it's always a little bit of an apprehensive feeling when you, when you speak to one of your idols. But it's been an absolute pleasure. And I appreciate your time so much.
Thank you. And, and and one last thing, one thing that I really appreciate, and I don't know if you do this just for the podcast, but I love the way you sign uh, you sign off your emails with uh, with gratitude. Uh, that's that's you don't see that often, and so that felt very genuine uh, and unique. So much respect to you for that, because that's what really uh, stood out in my mind. Thank you so much, sir. All right, all the best. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us again on the Freedom Pact podcast. Before you go, I'd just like to ask one tiny, tiny favor that takes about five to 10 seconds. If you were listening now on Spotify or iTunes, if you could please leave Freedom Pact a five-star rating and review, it helps us out so, so much with visibility of the show and makes us very happy. So if you could do that, that would mean the world to us. And we hope to see you back here again next week, wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you'd rather watch the podcasts in video format, head over to youtube.com forward slash Freedom Pact, where all these episodes and more are available in video. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening.